0: Having a baby is meant to be the most joyful time of your life. But for many mums and dads, it can be the hardest and at times the darkest of places. Welcome to Blue Mum Days, the podcast for anyone struggling with parenting. Being a new parent can often be a lonely experience, but I can't imagine how isolating it must have been for parents starting out during the COVID pandemic. This was one of the main reasons for starting this podcast, to reach out to anyone struggling and feeling isolated and alone. Since the very first lockdown, a study by UCL discovered nearly half of new mothers met the threshold for PND. Today's guest is Emily Goldhill, who is one such mum. Emily works at the creative business Liberty, where she's led strategies for some of the biggest brands in the world, including Google, Facebook, and the BBC. She specialises in helping organisations understand what it takes to deliver impact. Her work focuses on issues of inclusion, mental health and the future workforce. In autumn 2020, Emily gave birth to her first child, Ernie. Pregnancy and the early days of motherhood were unavoidably fused with the experience of living through a global pandemic. Within a few weeks of Ernie's arrival, it became clear that she wasn't just dealing with prolonged baby blues, and instead was battling postnatal illness. Emily questioned whether she was a good enough mother and worried that Ernie and her husband deserved better. All while being cut off from friends, family, and any element of normality thanks to COVID-19 restrictions. It's been a difficult ride, and she still has her moments, but Emily can now reflect on the journey and feels very strongly it's important to share her story because no two experiences of postnatal illness are ever the same. This episode was recorded in September 2021 over a really dodgy Zoom connection so apologies in advance for the terrible audio quality. I hope this doesn't distract from what was a highly personal and fascinating conversation. I also have a very loud Siamese cat at home who may also appear at points in the background so again I really hope Brandy doesn't distract. Welcome Emily, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Well thank you very much for having me.
0: What sort of day have you
2: had today? How's it been? Today's been a good day. We went to
1: nursery this morning to see nursery. That was quite a big moment, I guess.
2: How do you feel about that? Because that's that's a huge step when you're sort of thinking about returning to work and leaving your child in childcare for the first time. That's a really big deal.
1: It is a big deal. He's ready. (laughs)
2: i think he's i think he's sick of me uh after so much time together just like see mum that's show business (laughs) (laughs) but that's good and it's so much better to have it that way than sort of clinging and terrified and what was your gut instinct because it's you know it's it's a big thing for for you as the mum
1: yeah i think anxiety
2: is going to be greater
1: with me than it is with him the separation anxiety i think it's something that yeah I've definitely kind of worried about and I've worked myself up about a few times and I still have six weeks until I'm back at work yeah but it just like a big moment
2: and it's okay to have those feelings I think you know even if you're not suffering with postnatal illness those feelings are very very normal for a mum and especially for the first time you do anything like this and I think anybody listening uh who has already been through the nursery thing will totally understand uh, exactly what you're feeling at the moment if my experience is helpful it was definitely not as bad as I thought and actually I mean Stanley my son adapted really well and yeah exactly like you said it's it's you that has much more of a, a problem with it than than the kid who's just like yeah see you later <laughs> I
1: think because um It's taken so long in the the period of maternity leave to get to a place where I'm confident and comfortable. It feels like you're letting go of that. Yeah, yeah. And it's the next transition. And that's scary given that experiences of transition in motherhood
2: have have thrown up lots of issues for me and questions and self-doubt. If we could go back in time... And just go back for a moment to to sort of the Emily pre-pregnancy. What were you like before you fell pregnant? What were you like as a person? I was pretty laid back and, yeah, easygoing. And I was pretty
1: what will be, will be. And I think in some respects that maybe didn't set me up in the best possible way. I was actually chatting to my husband about this earlier. And I think I was a little bit like yeah I'll we'll have a baby it'll be fine life will be what what it is and we'll figure it out and we'll manage fine and you know it's
2: it fundamentally changes things I was just a bit too relaxed about it <laughs> that's typical mum guilt you know that you're actually blaming yourself for being too laid back it's <laughs> 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 but the thing is there's no right and wrong You know, like with anything, you can sort of do as much preparation as as you can beforehand and research and stuff. But this is so different. You know, every baby's different. Every pregnancy and birth's different. And uh, sorry for any listeners, if you heard the sound sound of what sounded like a sheep, it's my Siamese cat. (laughs) How did you find the pregnancy? Because you must have fallen pregnant not that long before the whole COVID thing happened. So
1: I fell pregnant at the beginning of the January, so January 2020. It happened, obviously it was planned, but it happened slightly quicker than we thought it might, which, you know, we're very lucky to have had that, But we kind of had this experience of this looming terror <laughs> coming across <laughs> and not really knowing what, what it was or what it was about or the impact. And then obviously went into lockdown and... No information about the impact on pregnancy, mm. babies carrying like nothing. So a huge amount of uncertainty and
2: scary. So I didn't leave the house for six months. Um, wow. Was that because you'd been advised not to, or because you wanted to keep it as as safe and secure as possible?
1: Yeah, it was the unknown and. You have this thing that's incredibly precious, and you don't want to do anything to jeopardize it. And you, you know, we were in a situation where we were facing a circumstance which has never really been faced before, and you're lacking information. And you, everybody's kind of keeping everybody at arm's length. So even our medical appointments, you know, my husband couldn't come to any scans. Um, Midwife checkups were done by the on the phone, so you don't, yeah, you didn't have a lot of connection. And I guess if if health professionals don't want to see you, why would you want to go out and put yourself in a situation where you feel that you're going to expose yourself to something unnecessary?
2: Because that's an incredible thing, isn't it? Because when when you're first pregnant, especially with your first child, it's going to the scan with your partner is such a big moment, and you didn't have that experience. No, it's um, it, was, it was really difficult.
1: And I think I had these ideas of what it would be like. And a big part of that is the journey that my husband and I would go on together. And I think it was incredibly difficult for both of us in different ways, a journey not to pan out like we both expected it to. I think, you know, for my husband, I'm having all of these big changes physically emotionally and you know his job is there to be there and to support it and there's no way for him to kind of necessarily connect with that obviously you have the bonding as much as you can when you're together but to be able to see the baby and hear the heartbeat and have those moments you know it's not the same when it's done over a FaceTime and you've got somebody telling you that you're not allowed to take photos or you can't record audio and you've got to be off at this time and moving through photos at a rapid rate Um, my husband was like I have no idea what you just showed me
2: oh my goodness because yeah that, that sort of not even being able to like video it for him or record the heartbeat I you know I remember sort of setting my phone to record the heartbeat when I had a sort of late checkup. and how did that make you feel I think at the time we didn't necessarily know how we felt
1: because you're processing so much and it was just like, I think for my husband, it was like, how do I just keep them safe? Um, and that was his priority. And how does he look after me in the best possible way, given the situation that we're in? And I think for me, I just, it felt, you yeah, either you felt like it wasn't the experience that you wanted to have and we weren't in it together in the same way. Um, You know, he was amazing and supportive. And I think in reality, actually, some of the stuff, the the kind of negative emotions that I dealt with after my baby arrived, I were creeping in during pregnancy.
2: Yeah. Did you did you have any sort of history of anxiety or anything like that growing up?
1: I a couple of years I had chronic
2: pain for
1: um nearly two years and that led to me being you know, kind of depressive uh, ended up on um painkillers that also helped with my mood regulations. Um again so quite situational again, but yeah, uh, it was how we kind of carried that load, I guess.
2: And had you said anything to your sort of health, your midwives, uh your your midwife's about there was a likelihood that, you know, you might be triggered by certain things during the pregnancy.
1: Yeah. So we had the conversation um, and it was asked at, kind of asked at the midwife checkups, Um And I would say, like, I've been finding it difficult. And I think a lot of that got put, uh, put down to COVID. Um, I think lots of women felt that way um, and I think it was kind of something they were hearing a lot of so whether it was something which was kind of seen as well it is the situation uh, we've got to just crack on I don't know but yeah you know they they had that they had my notes uh, and we talked about it and I guess that was very much about kind of how are you feeling in, at that the moment and it was yeah for me it was like well I just I am I want my baby and I'm anticipating my baby coming out and actually potentially feeling like once my baby arrived, the impact of COVID wouldn't feel so big Mm. because we would have our baby be my husband, we would be together looking after him um, and I felt like maybe I could go back out into the world a bit more and then that didn't happen.
2: It's, it's so hard, isn't it, as well, to sort of cast our minds back, because it's nearly 18 months now since COVID hit the UK. I'm trying to even think, did we have like much awareness of it back in, in sort of January, February? But it's, it was terrifying at the time. You know, it's something we, we've grown to live with. And a lot of people are thankfully double vaccinated now. But at the time, you know, it was. I, I remember seeing hazmat suits in my neighborhood when I was doing the Cubs run, taking my son and his friends to Cubs, and actually thinking, "It's here. It's in the vicinity." Did you have much awareness of of COVID before you were pregnant? So my husband is very clued into things
1: like this, and he was on it. So he was kind of following it on Twitter from the January and had. Kind of level awareness about it, and he actually was kind of on it and was like, You need to take hand sanitizer with you on the bus, you need to try and avoid public transport, maybe stop doing certain things a bit before it became before lockdown. So we were aware of it. He was very much kind of end of January, like, I think this is going to be big, I think this is going to come and it's going to be a real issue. So we, we we had that, which in some ways was good, but also I think for both of us was scary because at the same time we were really early days of the pregnancy. You don't want to jinx anything. You don't want to tell people. So we were kind of carrying this early load together, and and aware of it and thinking about what does
2: that means. I mean, it's just a really scary time, early pregnancy, anyway. Um, especially if you've never been through it before and and you're you're wanting to do your um, absolute best, you know, eat the right things, stop doing all the you know anything that could possibly jeopardize it. Did it mean that you weren't able to enjoy the pregnancy because there was so much going on around at the time?
1: Yeah, so i didn't I didn't feel great pretty much the whole way through my pregnancy. I was quite sick, nauseous a lot of the time, lots of reflux, and really uncomfortable. But I think I think COVID just added a whole another level, and I think it's only reflectively I'm able to recognise that. Yeah, it just wasn't the pregnancy I thought I was going to have, and there's been this this kind of grieving process for that experience. You know, we didn't get to go look at buggies and John Lewis and push them <laughs> around, and like I didn't really get to nest, which is ironic given that I was at home the whole time. But it just it wasn't kind of the same. And you know, even with things like working remotely, like people only see you from the kind of the shoulders up. And so the understanding that I was pregnant, or or just I wasn't seen. Basically, I I, I felt like I wasn't seen as a as a pregnant lady, which sounds crazy. Um, and one of the things I was chatting to some of my like um, NCT friends is none of us got to wear our baby on poor patches. <laughs> it sounds really silly, but it's so iconic and such a part of being a pregnant lady in London. Yeah, it's a rite of passage. You kind of want to have that and you didn't. Yeah.
2: You know, it's such a first world well, problem when we think about, you know, doing the the looking at buggies in John Lewis, sort of going to mother care and looking at the baby grows and, and doing all of that. It, it's part of being pregnant I think and do, do you think there is a big sort of expectation that we're made to sort of expect you know what pregnancy should be like you know and there's all these baby mother and baby magazines that that show this incredible laughing pregnant woman living her best life do you think you felt that sort of expectation yeah massively I think there's
1: so many portrayals of what it is to be pregnant and what it is to be a mother that you're constantly being told this is how your experience should be and I think there's a big thing in particular around like being pregnant and glowing and feeling really bonded to the baby and and it being this like magical experience and I just I mean I just looked peaky for like the whole nine months and I definitely didn't glow and yeah, I didn't feel particularly bonded, really. Like, I, you know, you know that there's something going on, and I, I knew that it was something that I loved, but you haven't really got a concept of it properly. So yeah, I think it's it's a big narrative that's kind of pushed on you, and then you're told to be these like really positive things when you're pregnant, but that means that actually the things that are not very nice about pregnancy but are also really common aren't really talked about you know the kind of like the pains that you get or the yeah like things like constant acid reflux and things like that like none of that's discussed but it's a huge part of what the experience is yeah
2: and it's you know it's like really sore boobs constipation piles if you're really unlucky uh, sciatica and 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 my god the mood swings oh it's, so it's, much. Yeah. it's a hormonal jamboree
1: yeah and I I didn't sleep and preg- like you know pregnancy um insomnia is a really common thing but again I didn't know that and it, it's like okay well my pregnancy pillow is great but there's only so much it can do yeah it's just so many things that you didn't know like when your boobs start leaking and no one really tells you when that's going to happen yeah it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's bit of television and
2: i was like what happened <laughs> i know it's all, all these things that you're kind of like why why aren't people coming out about this <laughs> you know it was really interesting hearing you say about nct because normally when we're not in a global pandemic you would be actually meeting up and going to nct meetings so how how did that sort of manifest and what was that like for you so i should clarify
1: i didn't do nct i did something called bump and baby yeah case okay, so I get out for not name checking. Um so I just but it's all the same. You you do it because you want to meet people and you, you wanna find people who are going to be in the same boat as you and it became I think it was like, you know, four Zoom sessions and you don't really get to chat to that many people, especially when you're trying to whisk, like, you know, rapidly get free content. You know, three hours on a Zoom call for anybody is pretty heavy. So Yeah, it was definitely tough. I mean, we met up, I think, kind of like once in the park, but some people already had their baby. And so it was definitely hard to feel like you were bonding with these people. You know, they've they've been really great at moments, But I think in particular at the beginning, you know, the only option open to us was do you want to go for a walk in a park? And you're talking about in November, it's cold, it's wet, it's miserable i'm gonna have to breastfeed my part bent in the rain it's not it's not really (laughs) ideal
2: (laughs) again that's that's another sort of big impact because um sort of meeting women that are going to go through it at the same time as you that's a huge support network and if you're not able to sort of bond with them in the same way um i think also what you were saying about sort of finding it hard to bond with your baby i think that's something quite common with a lot of women you know that it is such an abstract concept and it isn't until you give birth that it actually feels real and I remember looking at sort of apps where it says you know this this week your your baby's the size of a kumquat and (laughs) this week it's it's a tangerine and oh my god it's now the size of a watermelon it's time time to get it out but it's yeah it does seem such an abstract thing let's talk about the birth if you're comfortable with that What was the birth like for you? So I was induced
1: at 40 weeks because they were worried that he was going to be a giant baby, which in itself is like one of the scary things when you go and get scanned just before and he was kind of like off the chart big, Um, and then you're sat on your own and they're calling an obstetrician and trying to work out what they're going to do and trying to ring my husband and say, I don't know what's going on. Um, I was induced in hospital, um, um, obviously with COVID, restrictions were in place around visiting. So my husband had to leave. And then my labour basically kick-started when my husband wasn't there. And it was a very quick labour, which in lots of ways I'm obviously very grateful for. But my husband actually missed the birth.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Um, So he... Yeah, arrived as they were putting my son on my chest.
2: Oh, my goodness. That that must have had a huge impact on both of you because that's, that's yeah. the moment you're supposed to all be together, you know, as a together. family. I think for my husband it's
1: difficult because obviously it's the birth of your first child, but also I think he felt like he wasn't there for me. And for me... Yeah, like, you know, I I wanted him, that I needed him there. It was terrifying. I think, you know, I I had said to them, should we contact my husband? My waters had broken and I'd been sick, which I knew were two signs of stuff kind of moving forward. My husband actually said to the midwife who was on duty before, he left. She's got a very high pain threshold. Please, like, keep an eye and and if she asks for stuff, like, let me know. And it just they, they did. We think they in the blur of it. We think they apologized. They basically didn't believe me when I said that I was in labour. Wow.
2: So, I mean, that's funnily enough. I I had a well. I I felt utterly traumatised by my birth and because I've been doing hypnobirthing, again they didn't believe I was in labour. And um I had sort of registered I had one of those apps where it's like I'd, i had 40 contractions. You know what a contraction's like. It's not like anything else you've ever experienced. And they said it was just back pain and uh induced me uh against my will. And yeah, very similar thing where they just didn't believe me and and that had a profound effect on on everything you know I changed immediately and um it must have also been very scary because if everybody had had to be masked did you have to have a mask during the labour? No so I didn't have to have a mask
1: and to me, be honest if I had to wear one it would have come off yeah just, there's just no way it would have happened but everybody was was wearing masks, and because on my documents it said that he was going to be a big baby, there was. I, I remember in the room, and I was at the stage where I was pushing, and I was trying not to push because I was like, I want my husband to be here. And yeah. they were like, You need to push, you need to push now. And then just a sea of, of people came in because they were worried that his shoulder was going to get stuck because they thought he was going to be a big baby. Yeah. So it's just loads of people in masks in this environment that was not what I had planned again it was kind of like the birth I thought was going to have versus where it was and it turned out my baby was perfectly normally sized so
2: after after all that but you know I can't think of anything more um off-putting um and and frightening than having a room full of people and not being with your, your loved one when you know you're at your most vulnerable can you remember that moment then when when your son was presented to you how did you feel
1: I think I I didn't really I was just in total awe. I think a little bit I think for me in terms of my postnatal illness wasn't something that kind of happened then and there like I, I felt this huge surge of love um he was so tiny and smelt amazing and just was there in my arms and I think in that moment I knew something had changed. Life had changed. I had probably changed as well by becoming a mother, but knowing how that was gonna play out, you have no no idea. And I I think I probably also was like felt this is the most precious thing in the world
2: and with that comes immense pressure for your husband how did he feel just missing that that really fundamental moment it's still difficult
1: um to to kind of reflect on that and think about that and i guess actually in some ways we try and think about the impact of COVID as a positive in that he missed that but actually he's been there for so much more like he hasn't missed anything else yeah yeah he's been there for the first calls and the first rolls and the first and you know he's done it done it all
2: yeah yeah I mean that that seems like a really wonderful way to 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 look at it one of the things that really strikes me about you talking about your birth is the fact you not listened to or you felt you weren't listened to do you think that has had an impact on your mental well-being subsequent to the birth
1: I think it's it's a combination of things so I think it probably has and it's something that I've reflected on in terms of that experience is a form of trauma in terms of it not not playing out the way I wanted or or not feeling like I had control. Uh, but I think it also kind of plays into um, a bit of me which has always existed, which is it's I'm not I have never really been very good at asking for help. I'm quite self-determined, I will do stuff myself, I will do things myself. So there's kind of things like in retrospect, I was probably in labor and I didn't think I was in labor. Right so could I have said something sooner I love that Um, again the mum guilt is it your
2: fault (laughs) it's yes it's your fault
1: (laughs) yeah I was just too good at managing pain that's Um, that's incredible
2: but I mean that brings up a really important point I think because um especially with hypnobirthing apparently it is quite a common thing where women don't sort of make a big fuss if if their hypnobirthing is is working for them so it's really important for the partner or whoever's with them to to sort of be their advocate and let staff know which obviously your husband was was doing but in the midst of like the epidemic when the NHS who are absolutely incredible were run ragged and had you know so many things going on at the same time i guess it got lost in the midst I mean, obviously, the pregnancy and the birth weren't how you wanted them to be. How was it when you first took your son home? How did that feel? It just, it felt crazy.
1: You know, we discharged from the hospital. He was born at six in the morning and I was home by three, four in the afternoon. Oh my God. What?
0: Did
2: you get a sandwich? I hope you got a sandwich and a cup of tea. Yeah, I got a cup of tea. And I got some mac and cheese. Oh, well, there you go. I mean, that that was yeah. Jurassic Park.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I ate a lot of Percy pigs. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just crazy. We were home and he was in our arms and
2: you sat on the sofa and you were just like, now what? Did they show yeah. you in hospital, like, how to bath him or feed? Feeding, He. we were lucky. He, he latched.
1: He had no problems with that. So they came and they checked twice, basically. And if he was feeding twice, then they kind of tick it off. But they they left us for ages. And then they came in and we still had him in the towel that he had been wrapped in as soon as he'd come out. Yeah. And this was like a good few hours after. And they said, haven't you dressed him? I didn't know I had
2: to. Well, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's the thing, you know, it's, it's... It's, uh, you know, I, I spent one night in hospital, and um, yeah, it's that thing of like, what do I do? <laughs> and they were like, well, feed him every four hours. I am like, how? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that feeling when you have like this this little person and trying to fit a baby grow on them for the first time, and you are just like, oh my god, <laughs> it's like being in the uh, <laughs> on the Generation Game. So, how did you sort of first realize that you might be? suffering from more than the baby blues?
1: So my husband said something to me. He, he kind of raised it because we were maybe a couple of weeks in and I was just crying. like the whole time I had started to get really angry at him. So just kind of would see red and would blow up. And I've never been a particularly confrontational person. So that was an, a new thing for both of us. And I think it, it was just really obvious that something wasn't quite right. I was very lucky my sister is a, a GP. So she sent me basically what they used to determine whether somebody has got postnatal depression.
2: And I hit criteria. Is that the Edinburgh test? Yeah. Did you feel yourself that something was up? <sighs>
1: I don't know. I think when you're kind of like in it, it's so hard to look up. I knew that I loved him, but then also I was crying all the time and I was really struggling, like really, really struggling. I think there was one morning and my husband came in and I was just in the rocking chair, rocking back and forth frantically. I mean, my baby was crying and I just was like, I can't do this. Um I just I didn't really know what it was I couldn't do but I just felt like the situation I was in I something wasn't right.
2: And was your husband supportive when you said that because it's obviously you know such a hard thing for a partner to hear. Yeah he he was
1: and is amazing he's been incredibly hands-on and I don't think I would be in a place where I am now in terms of being able to reflect and talk about the experience without having had him by my side. You know, he has mentally and emotionally picked me up as well as physically picking me up off the ground a lot and has been,
2: yeah, I'm very, really, very lucky to have him. He sounds fantastic. <laughs> yes. um, so so that is wonderful that you had that level of support right there and and very very present from what you're you're saying but again the covid pandemic must have meant you had a lack of support from your usual network which would be family friends
1: yeah I think you know they say that it takes a village to raise a child and there's a reason why they say that we you know not not seeing family we still haven't been able to get him to meet all his family like immediate families yet um it was really hard and I think again it was that kind of what my expectations were so my my mum has been incredibly present in my sisters and my nieces and nephews lives and she would have been and I think if we weren't as cautious as we were, she probably would have been banging at the door. So not not having that was really hard, and I think it kind of works in two ways: there's the practical support around, just someone else to hold the baby, uh, so you can have a shower or just to put a load of washing on for you or whatever that might be. But also emotionally, I think you know, parent, especially in those early days, can feel quite lonely because. You know, you lose all sense of night and day and it's so all-consuming because you're trying to figure out how to keep this tiny thing alive and figure out feeding and figure out how you work together and having friends to turn to or to see or family in that respect, I think, becomes really important and you just didn't have that.
2: The news and television, it was all doom and gloom at that time you know it was you couldn't get away from it did you find that had an impact on you as well yeah
1: Uh, in particular it was the Christmas period so in the build-up the 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 lockdown and Christmas basically being cancelled which I know impacted so many people but it was kind of you know the potential idea of being able to have Christmas with some of my family And then it just being kind of taken away from you. It totally that that really broke me.
2: And again, it's another sort of milestone, isn't it? Baby's first Christmas. You get the the special Christmas themed bib and or baby grow. And again, it's meant to be a a big deal. That must have been incredibly hard. How did you spend Christmas? Yeah, it was was it just the three of you? So it was it was was, the three of us and it was it was really lovely. My husband cooked
1: an absolutely banging spread we went for a walk and you know had a nice glass of wine but it, it was also underpinned I remember Christmas because I was just not in a very good way so I think you know I I got really angry um, and blew up for no real reason and then was crying <laughs> for a good period of time and that was then, well, this is his first Christmas, Um, rather than it being this kind of, again, big joyous thing that you have in your head and the images that you see and and feel like you want to recreate. And then it didn't pan out that way.
0: Did you feel guilty?
1: Oh, yeah. Like, guilt all the time. I'm not doing a good enough job. I'm getting it wrong. The big thing for me was... My husband and my son deserve better. They deserve better than me. Um, at, at my worst, I had this kind of feeling of like they would be better if I wasn't here. Like if I just walked out the flat, and it was the two of them, it would be better. Uh, I just felt like I was constantly getting it wrong. I, or oh, I was, I was a problem. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't do it right. Whatever right is with a newborn baby, and
2: there is no yeah. right. There is no right. <laughs> it's just survival, no, exactly.
1: And I felt like I couldn't even do that right. I couldn't survive in the right way.
2: Were you able to express those, you know, very painful feelings, thinking they're better off without you, which clearly they weren't and are not? Were you able to tell those darkest feelings to to your partner? Yes.
1: Yeah, like that was one thing that I never struggled with. um But I think you know the way that it would be delivered, it, it often me hysterical, uh, you know, on on the bathroom floor, kind of having walked away from them in in the moment. um I think it. I can't imagine what it would be like to be on the receiving end of that because it's not just about me. You know, we've got a little baby there as well. And you know you've you've got to work out how you bring your partner back, and also look after something that's tiny and precious. So I think you know I came out with it's a full force of emotion and anger and frustration and all these kind of new feelings about what it is to be a mother. And I've I felt lost, and I think I was leaning on my partner. I still do massively to try and remind me that, that I'm doing okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and it's incredible because, like, you know, reading your bio, you're clearly a very talented, intelligent, articulate, capable woman, and yet you didn't feel you were any of those things, which seems to be a very common part of, of, of the illness. So when you were, when you did the Edinburgh scale and you were seen to be sort of vulnerable to postnatal illness or or fulfil the criteria, what support was offered to you? So if I'm honest, I kind of tried to see what
1: services were available online and also spoke to some friends who are in the health profession and it became very clearly, very quickly that waiting list to be seen through the NHS was just off the chart in terms of how long it was. So I contacted some private therapists, uh, started with talking therapy to see how I would go with that. Very lucky that we were in a position whereby we could afford for me to do that. Um, So I, I did a period of talking therapy. I think to begin with, I was like, oh, A little bit of me was kind of in denial. I was like, oh, I'll speak to somebody every two weeks. And just, you know, when things get really bad and then it became a a weekly thing because I needed to have that. And with them kind of taught through the experience of pregnancy, how I was feeling. And a big thing that we kind of hit upon was I hadn't been seen as a mother by anybody.
2: I've had friends who have been pregnant throughout and I haven't seen their bump so so to me they look just normal and it's like the pregnancy hasn't happened so how did that manifest itself in terms of the feelings you had towards being a mum then?
1: I think it fed into that feeling of me not getting it right and the guilt and the not the kind of not knowing and second guessing I think you know, one of the things that you, you think about when you think about motherhood is, is being out in the world with your baby and being seen. And, uh, you know, I knew there was going to be this new part of me and this new element of my identity that was going to come with his birth. But one of the ways that you assert a new identity or, or parts of yourself is by doing it with other people and being seen and presenting it to the world in some way. And we just didn't have the opportunity to do that. So the kind of feedback loop that you get is just so much smaller. It was was my husband because you don't get anything from the baby, really. So you've got no concept of how how am I doing as a mum? Like, how am I presenting as a mum? And I never really thought that I needed validation in that way. And it's it's been interesting that that's something that I clearly do.
2: Yeah, and that's okay. So I guess, I mean, the normal thing when you're when you're a brand new mum and, and you feel ready, if you feel ready, because it's not for everybody, you'd normally sort of go to coffee shops and meet other mums, you know, maybe your NCT or other group um, going through it at the same time. Also baby groups, I guess none of that was available to you, was it? No, for the first six months nothing i mean i think comparison especially when you're a mum is is a dangerous thing but also sharing that experience and and talking to them yeah and i think because
1: i wasn't necessarily kind of living this what 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 it is to be a mum in normal times i definitely fell into dangerous traps in other ways so uh, social media at the beginning I definitely got sucked into kind of Instagram holes with with like sleep training accounts and mums who even like the ones who are meant to be the kind of organic true representation of what motherhood is like kind of and I was slightly obsessive and uh, you know the nights when I was up like looking at it two three in the morning and thinking oh god that's bullshit or like oh they say that my baby should be sleeping like this. Why isn't he sleeping like that? Um and it got really bad and one of the best things that I did was just come off social media.
2: That's an incredibly brave and hard thing to do in this sort of day and age. But I do think there's like such a a dearth of information on the internet. I remember, you know, I just wanted to find out the right way to do something and for a start with babies there ain't no right way you know there's like 40 different ways you can breastfeed and latch and you know also sort of, and I would be desperately clinging for information like oh I've got to do it this way now and and then you read something conflicting and it's it's no wonder we feel like guilt because you're damned if you do damned if you don't it's like you know don't go to your child immediately because you'll be creating a rod for your own back that will just, you know, constantly demand all the time. But then if you don't, you're being incredibly cruel to the child, you know. So I think actually breaking away from that and breaking that cycle was an incredibly brave and big step to make.
1: Yeah, it's, it doesn't feel like it when you've done it because in, in retrospect, it definitely has been incredibly beneficial. You said it in the fact that there is no right way, and I think the thing that I've kind of started to realise is every baby is different, every mother is different. I actually just think that a lot of the stuff is out
2: there just shouldn't be allowed to be put out there. Yeah, and there's so much misinformation. Because, and
1: yeah, and I I I think one of the things about maternity leave is it's, it's obviously time for you to you know look after your baby but it's also time for you to figure out how you want to work with your baby yeah and get to know them and to learn and to understand and for them to do that with you and if it becomes about what's the right way then you're not allowing that to happen
2: yeah yeah I think that's very you know very wise words and When I was going through it with Stan and and that feeling of, you know, people would say, just trust your instincts. And I was like, I don't have any instincts. Oh, my God, what's wrong with me? But it is as you grow in confidence and as you say, you get into that rhythm with your baby, that you understand what works for for the two of you. And it can completely contradict all the the latest thinking or the latest trends. But it's important about finding your own rhythm and and trusting in that. Where are you now in your in your sort of experience do you feel you're coming out the other end? Yeah
1: so I I definitely feel out the other side in in lots of respects I don't think I know I've necessarily had the the time or the distance to be able to reflect and think about the true impact I guess on on that on on my experiences of postnatal illness but I, you know, I love my days with my son now and I feel like I know what I'm doing a bit more and I feel more in control of myself and my emotions and a little bit more level. You know, obviously there are moments and I think we're doing lots of fasts later because things are opening up now or, or things like that. And that throws at it a lot of kind of new hurdles and new things for me to think about. But I guess you just take it day by day. And and I think knowing I'm going back to work right now, it's about how I kind of treasure these moments and the time I have
2: with him. And, and that time isn't going to go away. You know, it's not like when you when you give up breastfeeding. If you're if you're fortunate enough to have breastfeeding work for you for you both, I, I remember when I I gave up breastfeeding, and I was really upset that you know would cuddles be the same, and you know would I still have that sort of intimacy with with my son? And I was really worried about oh my God, this is over, and it's never coming back. And it you know it changes, but it's just as lovely, and all those concerns that I had going into it, you know, it was absolutely fine. You're just going into a new way of being, but it'll, you know, you'll find, again, you'll find your rhythm. So, I mean, obviously recovery is not a linear thing. It's not linear. It's not like you gradually get better. You know, it's, it's two steps forward, one step back. What do you think's made the biggest difference in terms of feeling better or more like yourself? Uh-huh being out in the world
1: a bit more. I think it. it, so much was driven by the situation we found ourselves and the lack of control that we had. Um, And I think actually a lot of the ways that my illness manifested was about me trying to find control. And that is a difficult thing to try and get when you've got a tiny baby. So I think being able to do really simple things has been a really big thing for me in, in terms of feeling better. So, him swimming or, yeah, being able to go and see family and friends. And I guess with that comes a bit of that feedback loop that I, I think I needed. Um, and also I think I'm just that much more confident in him and my knowledge of him and what I can do and and just being able to yeah let go a little bit I mean I still cling on quite tightly, like tightly cut me to to especially things around routine I can be a bit anal but again I think that's like the kind of me trying to assert some kind of control
2: and I, th- I think control and lack of control are sort of things that, you know, certainly when I went to the P&D support group that I was lucky enough to attend, that seemed to keep coming up, that sort of feeling out of control or not being listened to and being out of control, or having no say in, in what happened at the birth. I think that seems to come up a- a- again and again. What would you like to say to people who are sort of going through it at the moment and are perhaps back where you were when you were at your lowest? I think the, the
1: most important thing is that, that point about every baby is different and every mother is different. And it's about you guys figuring that out together um, rather than there being a set way. Also, I I very consciously talk about postnatal illness. And this is something that my husband actually said. Um, You know, he said that calling it postnatal depression is putting a lot of different emotions and different expressions in one label. um, And I wouldn't necessarily say that I was depressed. Mine was much more around the anxiety and the rage and kind of an element of sadness it's yeah it's really important to kind of I guess recognize that just because you're feeling something and it's not reflected in somebody else's experience or somebody else's story doesn't mean that it's not important or you're you're not struggling I think it's really important it's part of the journey I've been on it is an undeniable part of the first phase of my motherhood experience um and also I think for me it's important because it's because I think it's a way of trying to get across just how different the experience was unless you have had a baby in lockdown I don't think you're going to understand what that experience has been really like the experience of lockdown has meant I've had this period with my husband and my baby and that is time that we will probably never have ever again and I'm incredibly grateful for that um and I think it's definitely given me a different perspective um, and made me learn some quite hard lessons I guess about myself but hopefully lessons that will will help in terms of how I approach things and tackle things moving forward
0: If you like this episode of Blue Mum Days, please rate and subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. Please also spread the word. It only takes a minute and really does make a difference in helping others discover the podcast, which means helping more parents get the support they need. Thank you.